Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. I had the good fortune many years ago to be in an NBA GM's office when a call came in from a rival GM looking to make a trade. The GM that I was with had several staff members in his office at the time as well. I think it was the assistant GM and a personnel director. It was a fascinating look into how those conversations go, or at least how this one went. No players were named. The opposing GM described the kind of player he was looking for, the kind of player he thought his team needed. And then he talked about what he felt he had too much of. And I can't remember now what the position was that he had duplicates. But when the call ended, the executives in the room looked at each other and one of them said, he's looking to make a play or make a trade for our player X. I can't give the name because it would give away the team and the GM. And it doesn't really matter because the player ultimately was never traded. But I thought it was a clever way to introduce an idea is you don't name the player you just describe the player and you know that who you're talking to is going to recognize who you're talking about so by doing that the other gm had plausible deniability if one of his players or the player's agent asked if he was looking to trade him you could say i've never mentioned his name he also could deny that he had reached out to obtain a particular player because that would send a signal to his locker room or whichever players would be affected by the acquisition of that player. And if you don't think that trade talk can affect or negatively affect a locker room, then you're not conscious of just how supremely sensitive and egotistical NBA players can be. Uh, We're about to see how things go in in Phoenix now that Chris Paul's name has been put out there very publicly as being available in the Suns' attempts to get Kyrie Irving. 
And all of that is important because if there was certifiable proof that a team was trying to move a particular player, it could cause problems in future negotiations or just relationships within that season. But in any case, the message from the GM, the opposing GM to the GM that I was with was delivered. I bring this up because we're approaching the trade deadline. It's only a couple days away and rumors are running hot and heavy about such and such team being interested in acquiring a certain player from such and such other team. Or we have conflicting reports on exactly what was offered in a deal that ultimately didn't go down. Or we have after-the-fact reports on what teams were willing to give up in a deal that was made with someone else. Or such and such team has let it be known that such and such player is available. Now, I don't know if the conversations in all of these are still as circumspect as the one I eavesdropped on, but I suspect on some level, or at some point, they are. The difference, and it's a big one, is that the conversations today are not limited to one GM talking to another anymore. The team that I was with and the conversation that I heard, that's the only place that that kind of conversation would happen. And that's not the case in today's NBA. Thanks to the massive amounts of money involved and the type of businessmen who own the teams now, there are far more people capable of leaking parts of a trade conversation, including those businessmen who own the team. There are so many more agendas. Agendas that aren't simply focused on acquiring a player to fill a hole or improve a roster. It's almost quaint, the idea that trade talks would just be about improving the competitive balance or a value of a particular team. In many cases, the GM isn't even the one looking at the board. The board that every GM has in his office. They all have these big boards with every team with players' names on little magnetic pieces written underneath the team name, along with what they're, if they're a pending free agent, restricted free agent, how many years they might have left on their deal. All of that is there on the wall so that a GM can kind of sit back and just look at the league as a whole and start to ruminate about what deals he might be able to make or who might become available or who might have duplicate talent. Now, the owner, the team owner, may have his own board with names. Or maybe it's the owner's son or daughter. And maybe now the star player is in the office of that owner's son or the owner, staring at the same board, hobnobbing about what they could do completely unbeknownst to the GM, who is over in his office staring at his board and considering possibilities. There are also capologists who may have a closer relationship with the owner than the GM because they speak the same language, money. And oftentimes the capologists are businessmen or accountants that that owner had before he bought the team. So the capologist may have more sway with the owner than the GM, primarily because he knows how to save or make the owner millions of dollars and has already demonstrated that in previous businesses and now can do the same by 
getting under the luxury tax or opening room to pursue a free agent that the owner has has eye on. Again, not necessarily to make the team great, but because he knows that it will sell corporate sponsorships and tickets and advertising. A GM generally knows how to spend money. So if you were the owner, who would you be closer to? The guy who's looking to make moves to save or make you money? Or the guy that's coming in with ideas of how they can spend it? I bring all this up because of the relentless drumbeat about the Lakers vice president of basketball operations, Rob Palinka, and the criticism that he's receiving for not aggressively looking to spend the team's first round picks in 2027 and 2029 to acquire well, pretty much any players now. Any players now would be better than what they have. That seems to be the general thinking out there, particularly among Lakers fans. Or the approval that Palinka got from his recent acquisition of Rui Hachimura from the Wizards for Kendrick Nunn and three second round picks. That seemed to meet the approval of both media and fans alike. It's been mentioned that Hachimura being a restricted free agent uh, and that impact on the team's cap situation this summer, it's been mentioned in passing, but then quickly dismissed as worth it to get a young player of Hachimura's potential. Nothing has been said about those second round picks. Their value in not just to be able to select a player of the team's choosing, but to sign them to a very team to, to team favorable terms that a second round pick affords because the team isn't hemmed in by the set rookie salary scale terms of first round picks. Or the players that teams have found in previous second rounds that ended up being bona fide NBA players, the kind of players that you normally need, not necessarily stars, but simply role players to fit around someone like LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And Jeannie Buss, the Lakers owner, she's been getting it too. Honestly, Lakers fans sound like children sometimes. Their team isn't winning at the rate that they would like. The team doesn't look like it's going to contend for a title. So something must be wrong. It must be the GM and owner's fault. This is the real tell on how many people in the media and fan bases have a box score mentality in assessing the game. They look at the numbers that LeBron James is putting up on a nightly basis and think, well, he's doing his job. If only the Lakers had more people capable of... Capable of what? Putting up numbers? They've got that. They've had that. How is it that Malik Monk can go to Sacramento and score the same number of points in fewer minutes than he did in L.A. last year? How is it that he can be a contributor now to a winning team in Sacramento and he couldn't be in L.A.? How is it that Ken Kendrick Nunn can go to the Wizards and be so much more efficient and impactful than he ever was in a Lakers uniform? How does Talon Horton Tucker go to Utah and be more productive per minute as part of a winning team? Anyone wondering how that could be, I'll tell you how. It's not coaching. It's not rotations. It's because it takes a very unique type of player to play off of LeBron and be successful more now than ever before because LeBron is no longer the facilitator and the creator that he was He's now a scorer, 
And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's nothing wrong with needing a particular type player to fit around him. Or at least that was the formula. But it's not the same now. And that doesn't take the responsibility off of LeBron and onto the GM and the coach and the owner. It means that LeBron has changed since they got him. The Lakers are essentially stuck with a very high-priced player and a formula that no longer works. I'm sorry, I'm not going to put that on Rob Palinka and Jeannie Buss and Darvin Ham alone. It's all of theirs. Where the Lakers are as a business entity is not being considered either. And this is where Jeannie Buss's responsibility and Rob Palinka's responsibility lies. These are not your father's or your grandfather's Lakers. The climate has changed since the late Dr. Jerry Buss was in charge. There's been no thought given to the fact that Jeannie Buss, his daughter, and now the Lakers majority owner, has the team as her main source of income. And she's in a battle against a multi-billionaire in Steve Ballmer in an entertainment market as fierce as Los Angeles. She can't go all in with no thought of the product that she's going to be selling five years from now when LeBron is gone or how she's going to pay for it. I've seen posts that have suggested her father would be devastated to see how she's run the franchise since he died. No he wouldn't. He'd cherish that she brought the franchise another championship. Dr. Buss had his success under wildly different circumstances. He didn't have a billionaire owner to contend with in his own market or multiple ones throughout the league. He didn't have to answer to critics in the harsh, relentless spotlight of social media and 24-hour sports talk. For the first six years of his ownership, there was no salary cap to contend with. And for the most successful part of his run, the cap wasn't as complicated as it is now. The ability for players to build platforms and make money outside of basketball is far more global. You know who that impacts negatively? Places like New York and Los Angeles. The value of being an L.A. Laker has been diminished, which is why, as successful as Dr. Buss was, I don't know if he could have enjoyed the same success today. Battling Steve Ballmer is a hell of a lot different than going up against Donald Sterling. But back to Jeannie and Rob. It is well known Jeannie has a host of people she listens to outside of Rob about basketball matters. Phil Jackson... Magic Johnson, Kurt Rambis and his wife Linda. People who were part of the franchise when her father was running it. So, kind of makes sense. There are a few others whose names would not be familiar to you that she listens to. I was told just this week that Rob is not allowed to have a meeting or discussion with outside interests without someone else from the team in on the meeting. Or... Consider that the acquisition of LeBron James and Anthony Davis provided a seat at the decision-making table for their agent, Rich Paul, who is not shy about leveraging their star power to serve their particular needs, their needs above and beyond the team's needs. Also consider LeBron and Rich 
unlike any of the players or agents that Dr. Buss had to deal with. LeBron and Rich have relationships in Hollywood and AA that were established outside of their association with the Lakers. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Not that the Lakers are the only team, by the way, with competing interests and complicated relationships. There is a certain level of intrigue going on in Phoenix where you should expect to see the league give the team an ownership transfer exemption before Thursday. In other words, they're going to let Matt Ishbia complete his purchase of the team from Robert Sarver before the trade deadline in order to allow the Suns to make moves. Ownership transfers are generally required to be done out of season but there's apparently some kind of stipulation in the sales agreement that limits or prohibits what Ishbia can do as far as player movement, and the NBA wants to allow that to happen. The other big news is that you should expect to see Isaiah Thomas, yes, the former Detroit Piston and two-time champion, not the former Suns guard, become part of the new Suns front office. I just saw a tweet before I started recording, that the current team president had resigned. And I should give you his name, but it didn't ring a bell. I'm not familiar with him. All you need to know is that that seat is vacant, and I would not be surprised if Isaiah Thomas stepped into it. Thomas is apparently tight with Paul Rivers, who is Matt Ishbia's right-hand businessman. Ishbia is a Michigan State walk-on hooper, who was born and raised just outside of Detroit in Birmingham and is apparently a big fan of Thomas. All of which should make James Jones, the current GM, wary, if not outright nervous, especially with the team at a bit of an inflection point. Isaiah, as you well know, was the GM both in Toronto and in New York. I am sure that he has thoughts and interests when it comes to building a team. And what looked like a powerhouse in the making just a year or two ago is now leaking oil with DeAndre Ayton at odds with Coach Monty Williams and Chris Paul showing his age in a rather dramatic way this season. The good news is that Paul's contract, announced as four years and $120 million, is only partially guaranteed in the third year, which is next season not becoming fully guaranteed until July or excuse me June 28th and the fourth year is completely non-guaranteed now think about the Thomas Ishbia situation just for a minute you the fan probably focused on what Jones is going to do with Jay Crowder what the team is going to get back in return from him and if it's going to be enough to get the Suns back on track or Maybe how you hope Ishbia is less of a distraction as an owner than Sarver. But Ishbia's focus is not necessarily yours right now. James Jones's focus is not necessarily yours right now. Ishbia's dalliance with Isaiah Thomas is proof of that. 
It's not that I take exception to Isaiah becoming part of their front office, although I'm sure there are plenty of people who would. Isaiah doesn't, in my mind, get as much credit as he deserves for his eye for talent or his ability to use his reputation to build relationships with star players. But his track record in both building and coaching teams is, at best, mixed. All that aside, if there were indications that Ishbia values Isaiah because of his business or team-building acumen, I'd say, okay, fine. But it feels as if his admiration for Isaiah is born of growing up watching Isaiah lead his hometown team, the Detroit Pistons, to -to back-to-back championships. Which is probably not a perspective that Phoenix Suns fans will appreciate or care all that much about. Jones, aside from having to keep an eye out for what Isaiah coming on board means for him, and if the ownership announcement is made before the trade deadline, that could be any day now. He has some fractured relationships to negotiate between his coach and some of his players. And Ishbia is sure to have some thoughts on how those relationships should be mended, or if someone needs to go, who that should be. A tempered approach would be for him to say, I need to get to know the actors involved before I make a decision. And even that could put a drag on how much, if anything, happens at the trade deadline as well. Finally, there's Kyrie Irving being dealt to the Dallas Mavericks because his desire to discuss a four-year full max extension with the Nets apparently was not met with much enthusiasm. There have been two extreme public reactions to the news of Irving going to Dallas. Fans of Kyrie think he leveraged the Nets, which I find amusing. Kyrie just worked his way out of the biggest media market in the world, a 32-20 and team to Dallas with a team that is barely over 500. The biggest contract he could have signed for next year, an extension, was with the Brooklyn Nets because of how the salary cap is structured. And if the Nets were putting conditions on the deal for him to earn the full boat of nearly $200 million, you can be assured with Kyrie's track record that any other team signing him will do the same. He's not getting a guaranteed four years without any stipulations or conditions. No one is giving him a long-term deal because they've seen how unpredictable he can be on a short one. Yes, talent generally gets paid. That's true. And regardless of of a player's track record. But Kyrie has put himself in that Antonio Brown category where talent isn't enough because it doesn't, not only does it not guarantee wins or revenue, but it creates and causes headaches major headaches. Some of Kyrie's stances have made him absolutely radioactive when it comes to corporate sponsors. His shoe with Nike, his signature shoe, I'm told, sold very well, better than LeBron's, and they still parted ways with him. And did any other shoe company snap him up? No. In spite of the fact that he had a shoe that sold well, nobody is interested in being in a partnership with Kyrie. 
So whatever his fans might think about his social causes or his level of intelligence or his market value in the league, the facts say otherwise. The media, for the most part, in terms of the extreme reactions, so you had the fans, especially the Kyrie fans, who think that he's playing chess and everybody else is playing checkers. The media, for the most part, have put the focus of Kyrie leaving the Nets on Kyrie, berating him for once again being concerned about himself over what is best for the team and betting that the Nets offer, which was a conditional max deal of four years and $200 million, supposedly was attached to winning a championship in the first three years in order to have the fourth year guaranteed. That his rejection of that was short-sighted because it will most likely be the best offer that he's received. And I, I struggle with this with Kyrie because... I don't want to make this denigrating. He's just confusing. And I am frustrated by those who support what he does as being somehow wise or enlightened. I feel it. he does himself a disservice. That we lose sight of what a amazing basketball player he's capable of being and by co-signing some of the other behavior and idiosyncrasies and that's putting it nicely that we're enabling that behavior anybody who is saying well it's just Kyrie or even more even worse lauding him for it we're doing him a disservice Kyrie stop with all the craziness it doesn't make sense it's not healthy. It's not helping you or anybody else. Now that I've had 24 hours to sit back and examine everything about the trade, this is how I would frame the Mavericks jumping up and grabbing Kyrie for Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a future first round pick and two seconds. Mark Cuban made this move because it serves two purposes. One, Scouts and executives have been wondering for the last year when Luka Doncic, the Mavs' incumbent star, will become disgruntled with the Mavs' inability to put enough talent around him to compete for a title. Sort of same way that LeBron got in Cleveland. Getting Kyrie is one of those see-what-we're-willing-to-do moves. It doesn't mean it's going to work. But it gives the appearance that A, the franchise knows how to acquire stars by means other than drafting them. And B, that the franchise shares the same urgency as Luka to win a championship now. The second thing it does is it's a huge money saver. The Mavs have the seventh highest payroll in the league this year. They're going to pay a hefty tax, estimated to be $60 million. That's something that, by and large... Mark Cuban has been able to avoid. Finney Smith and Dinwiddie were signed through next season, which already put next year's payroll at roughly $108 million. Now, the salary cap is expected to take a big jump next season, at least projected, up to $134 million. That is a monstrous jump. It usually goes up by four, maybe $5 million a year. But... Even with that jump, it offers the Mavs little relief because Christian Wood and Dwight Powell are pending free agents. And if they were just paid what they made this season, which is a combined $25 million, that alone 
would put the Mavericks right at the cap or over it. And both, of course, will be expecting raises if they stay with Dallas. Moving off of Dinwiddie and Finney Smith offers both wiggle room and better optics. Imagine maintaining the status quo of a team that is struggling to stay over 500 because all you can really do is re-sign Wood and Powell. That would hardly be motivating for Luka or the fan base or any corporate sponsors. But now, now the Mavs can toy with re-signing Kyrie and or the other two. And I wrote yesterday that I had sources assuring me that Kyrie and Dallas have not agreed to an extension, which is normally an understanding reached before a player of Kyrie's magnitude and pending free agency is dealt to a new team. It's usually something the team acquiring that star wants to be in place, has to have in place. It's why the Lakers, I'm told, were only willing to include a first-round pick in a trade for Kyrie if it was conditional. The condition being that they got to keep the pick if Kyrie did not re-sign with them this summer. But I can see why the Cavs would be okay with not having that assurance. Because this is about making sure they make the playoffs right now and thereby collect the playoff revenue and sell the merch and tickets that come with adding a box office draw of Kyrie's magnitude. He's going to sell more jerseys than Dwight Powell or Spencer Dinwiddie. Especially since the jerseys for Powell and Spencer Dinwiddie have already been sold. (laughs) New Kyrie Dallas Mavericks jerseys? That's a moneymaker. Some of you have asked from a basketball perspective if I think the Kyrie-Luka combo will work. And I hate to answer a question with a question, but what would they have to do to say it worked? I expect that this will solidify them as a playoff team. I'm not 100% on that, but I think I could see how it would. Because right now, teams with offensive firepower and particularly offensive stars are being rewarded by the way the game is being played. I would also expect that it would be fairly easy for playoff caliber teams to exploit any defense that has Kyrie and Luka on the floor at the same time. Dorian Finney-Smith is a tough defender, and Dinwiddie at least gives you effort. Both have decent to exceptional size for guards. Dorian Finney-Smith is 6'7 and 220, and Dinwiddie is 6'5 and 215. And yet, even with them, the Mavs were 24th in defensive rating. Now, that's not going to improve with the loss of those two and the arrival of Kyrie, who is generally listed as 6'2 and 195 pounds and sometimes gives you an effort on defense. Most of the time does not. So, does it make the Mavericks a better team right now? If Kyrie stays locked in and realizes his desire to get a fat new contract is tied to the Mavs' success, something that he apparently did not connect with Brooklyn, then I would say... Yes, it makes them better. It makes them a better regular season team. It gives them a better chance of moving up the standings and guaranteeing that they are going to be in the postseason. Does it make them contenders to come out of the West? No. I'm not even sure it's a step in that direction. What it does, above all, is give Luka a reason to believe the Mavs are willing to go after star talent to help him and gives Mark Cuban and Nico Harrison more cap flexibility moving forward. That's it. All right. So, 
That does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As I said, we're a couple days away from the trade deadline and there are, I'm sure, going to be subjects coming up in terms of what happens next. Obviously, the Chris Paul situation in Phoenix, uh, the Toronto Raptors uh, have convinced everybody that all trade routes go through Toronto. So those and a host of other things that are involved in the trade deadline are sure to make up my next podcast. I can't be more specific than that because I made a promise to you that I'm not going to make promises that I can't keep. So there you have it. I am going to promise that I will get another episode out this week by the weekend at the latest. Until then, as always, thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.